Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to talk about vulnerability as it relates to the seventh episode of the fifth season of Supergirl titled Tremors. We chose this topic for this episode because... It was very relevant. It was very relevant. <laughs> Not only was it relevant in terms of just present throughout all of the storylines, but specifically each member of our like core trio of Kara, Alex, and Jean opened up to a loved one and made themselves vulnerable in order to repair a relationship. And they were also all physically vulnerable in this episode as well. Yeah, that's true. It was also interesting because these three dynamics that we saw in this episode represented a different sort of relationship. With Alex and Kelly, we had mm -hmm. a romantic relationship. And then Kara and Lena were a friendship and Jean and Malefic were family members. So that was neat kind of represented vulnerability across the different sorts of relationships. Yeah, it was actually very cool that they consciously did that because those are the three kinds of relationships that we tend to experience throughout our lives and that are also the kinds of relationships where we might end up experiencing the most pain because these are the people that we will let our guard down around the most and they have the most information that could potentially hurt us. And then kind of related to that, just so everybody's kind of clear on what vulnerability means, is it's a state of being where you open yourself up or expose yourself to the risk of being harmed or attacked. And this can be physically, which if you look up certain kinds of terms related to vulnerability, one will mention later, you see it in reference to like video games a lot, like strategically opening your team up to vulnerability so that you can win an attack later. But it definitely, and in this episode in particular, is also referring to this state of exposing yourself to emotional harm. Yes. Um, that was a really big part of the story in this episode. And it's something that all three of our core characters deal with throughout the series. So it was very cool to see it kind of come back in that way. Strong thematic element in this episode. Yeah. Well, and with lots of references and, and building upon the stuff that we know about them from previous seasons, which like after not having that for a while, it was nice to see. Uh, <laughs> I agree. And it's interesting because the opening scene in this episode displayed a sort of physical kind of vulnerability with Jean and Kara, mm -hmm. who were sparring and were sort of opening themselves up and putting themselves in the situation where they are capable of hurting each other physically. And we see that they sort of honor each other's vulnerability in that we see Kara restrain herself from kicking Jean in the face when she's able to. We see that they're like smiling at times and it's sort of a light affair. And then when Jean has that sort of mental pain, Kara stops herself from hitting him. So we just see in a physical sense that they are definitely safe with each other. Yes. I really liked this scene. Number one, because it builds in a very lovely way on the evolution of Kara's relationship relationship with Jean mm -hmm. from where they kind of didn't get along with each other always in season one to now. And it, it built on kind of him being there as a support for her in that, like, I am a soul survivor and I get some of what you're going through kind of way that we saw kind of in season three. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that was really important about this scene is that it's deliberately set up to be reminiscent of the scene of Jean and Alex sparring in season one, episode 15, when Alex is coping with Jean decision to lie about Astra's death. And there's a lot that's very similar about it. Number one, the level of emotional honesty that is coming from each of the girls to Jean in the scene. Like Kara in this current episode talks about, you know, she's anxious and that when she's anxious, she needs to let her energy out. Hmm. And in the scene from season one, Jean tries to call Alex out and say like, if you're angry, can we please maybe go out for coffee instead <laughs> of like you punching me? And she's like, no, that's not what this is about. I'm actually sad about something. Mm. And so it was cool to see a return to that deliberate articulation of emotion and also the recognition that aggression is often a mask for other feelings and that oftentimes we'll misread aggression as being about the wrong emotion yeah. as outsiders. And so the other thing that was really cool <laughs> connecting season one to season five was also that the scene of Jean and Alex sparring in season one is the first time we see him decide to do that in his Martian form. Mm. And he kind of does it to make a point to Alex, but the way that scene was done was really fantastic because you very clearly see that she feels safe, even though he's got her like in a chokehold pressed up against the wall, in very much the same way that Jean and Kara here are very comfortable with 
with each other in a situation where they could very easily hurt each other badly. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting contrast, obviously, in terms of him feeling comfortable being visibly alien with Alex in that scene. Mm, Yeah. In terms of some other dynamics that happened in this episode and being comfortable with status as an alien with another person and whether or not you are safe with them emotionally as well as physically. Yeah. Well, and Jean, in season one, a large undercurrent for him in that season was him being afraid of what he might do with his powers, what things he had done in the past that he remembered, let alone things he didn't remember. Yeah. And Alex really encouraging him to kind of be okay with that and get over it. I mean, like, not in, not in a bad way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, like, this is someone who grew up with Supergirl, so <laughs> she is afraid of very little. Mm-hmm. The other reason that the scene with Kara and Jean here in 507 was very important was because it's a callback to that point in season one with the lie and the inter-family betrayal related to Astra. Yeah. And Astra comes up again in this episode, which I was very happy about. So Hard same. <laughs> we've been talking about Myriad over here for a few weeks. So it was, yes, uh, we have. Nice to see that. And Astra and Lena connections, mm. interestingly. But yeah, so we saw, like we said, Jean and Kara be physically vulnerable with each other, but also emotionally vulnerable. It's something that Jean has gotten better at across <laughs> the seasons with the space fam, Alex and Kara. Oh, yeah. He used to be so touchy about it in season one. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the coming out as an alien was sort of a gateway into him being more vulnerable with them and opening their relationships up. But we also saw in this episode and have seen the season generally that John still does struggle with being emotionally open on occasion. For instance, when he was keeping the secret about what he did to Malefic. Mm-hmm. And then also in this episode, Alex called him out for deflecting when he was trying to shift focus away from what had happened to him mentally when he was hurt during the sparring. Well, this is an issue that he's had throughout the whole series. He kind of likes to hide emotionally as we've discussed (laughs) numerous times and as i said before like he's very paranoid about what he might do to hurt people with his powers which now that we get this insight that he knew he did something but he never knew what it was that was really bad yeah it makes it even more significant that he's always kind of been this way Mm. and going back to you know alex saying stop deflecting his first instinct is always to kind of seal off emotionally even when it might be the wrong choice like in terms of him telling Alex that she couldn't be open and honest with Kara about what happened with Astra and again in season three when Kara was depressed and Alex was like no we need to talk to her and Sean's like no just let her feel the feelings Uh, But in terms of it being related to him and his powers, usually when he's struggling with being vulnerable in terms of his identity as a Martian, it tends to be related to him feeling like he needs to protect people that he loves. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like his father was suffering and he made the choice to erase the memory of his brother, even though he also loves his brother. Yeah. And various times that he's used his powers to erase people's memories to protect Sakara or Alex or both of them between season one and season five. Yeah. And that sort of protective instinct is also what drove Marin and Jean to keep Malefic hidden out of fear that he would hurt their people and sort of fearing the vulnerability and openness to being hurt by their loved one and didn't handle that well. No. And it's kind of interesting because the decision that Jean makes in this episode is something that he or anyone in their whole society could have done all along. (laughs) Yeah. And just everyone was afraid to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what drives mind Marin's advice about it is that sort of lost opportunity. But now Jean makes a different choice than Marin made in that he decides to open up to Malefic. Marin says, open your mind to him like a flower, complete vulnerability, so that Malefic can see the truth about Jean and Jean's intentions. And it's interesting because Marin gives this advice with the warning that he's not sure how Malefic will react because none of them have been able to really get a read on him to know. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. Um, And he's like, this may ruin your life and you may die. 
but you have to decide if it is worth it. Uh-huh. He also says something that I liked about it, which was that like there's no right or wrong. It's just kind of what makes you feel at peace. Mm. Which actually kind of goes back to what we talked about with different kinds of levels of morality and moral reasoning yeah. last week. But in the scene when Jean is making himself vulnerable to Malefic, he kneels in front of him, which is quite visibly a vulnerable position to be in, mm-hmm. both like physically and emotionally. And it also reminded me of the season three sort of deleted arc that was in one episode, the faithful episode, yeah. when Jean expressed how he was resisting his religion because of everything that he had lost. And then by the end of the episode, he opens up just a little and sort of kneels next to Marin to pray. Mm. And we do see him again doing that in this episode. Yes. Kind of looking for that connection, looking for some reassurance or some guidance, which is its own, again, sort of openness and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why initially Jean had resisted doing it. It's because he didn't want to be hurt again. <laughs> and it was interesting in terms of that visual, the sort of blocking of Malefic standing over Jean, because in the very next scene, Alex is sitting lower than Kelly in order to sort of appeal to her and get through to her in their relationship dynamic, which we'll talk about later in this episode. Hmm. But in terms of Jean and Malefic, Jean obviously literally opens his mind up to Malefic to do whatever he wants. But Malefic reads his mind, kind of literally empathizing with him and being able to Mm. completely feel what he feels and seems to forgive him as far as we know. Yeah. And the cool thing there is that the last time we saw Jean do any kind of Martian like mental bond like that, it was with Magan, Mm -hmm. which different context because that was a romantic bond, but similar in the sense that that was someone who he was very initially hesitant to trust because it was someone who he perceived as an enemy. Yeah. And he has a kind of similar level of wariness here of all of the ways that it could go wrong, but he still has the inner courage to go forward with it. And in both cases, a loved one kind of helps him make that decision. Yeah. And also, you know, he comes to this conclusion about Malefic because of his meditation and conversations with Marin. But you can also see a little bit in it the way he's learned from Kara, hmm. in a sense, and in recognizing that sense of compassion and that willingness to talk and be honest with people. Well, and from Alex, too. Um <laughs> Like, Jean having opened himself up to those relationships with them has now kind of had a ripple effect on the way he approaches other situations. It was kind of how he finally was willing to let his guard down and get close to his dad as well Yeah, when he first found him on Mars and everything that's followed, so. Yeah, which makes the rest of this episode interesting in terms of Kara, who attempts the same sort of thing with Lena with different results. Same sort of thing in what way? She does not attempt a Martian mind bond. <laughs> no, but <laughs> She tries to open herself up emotionally, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And speaking of Kara and Lena and that dynamic in relation to Jean and Marin, Marin said a line that reminded me of the Kara and Lena dynamic. He said, There is only one way for you to save Malefic, and it requires you to risk your own death by his hands. Wow. And in this episode, <laughs> we saw Kara worry whether or not Lena was going to kill her. Mm, yeah, at the end. Yeah. And they established at the beginning of the episode what we've kind of been saying in the podcast for a while, which is that Kara knows that all is not well and that she maybe didn't make the right choice. Yeah. And it's worth looking at Kara individually as a character and her relationship with vulnerability. Particularly, we know because of something that Astra said, actually, that on Krypton, it is a show of great strength to admit one's fears to an enemy. So we have a bit of cultural context for Kara here in terms of vulnerability and it being a strength to express it or to show it. So we see Kara, you use vulnerability as a tool, actually. And it's an honest sort of vulnerability most of the time. And she uses it in order to help people. For instance, with the hope speech from season one in the finale. To help defeat Myriad. Yes. Carr talks about how she lost everything when she was young and how when she first landed on the planet, she was sad and alone, but that the people of Earth helped her realize that there's so much love in the world up for the taking. And then she directed that personal experience of hers, you know, talking about a painful transition in her experiences in order to then say, I need your help again. I need you to hope and to demonstrate through her experiences that hope is possible. And then, 
you know, one of my favorite Jean and Kara scenes in season one when Jean was debating whether or not he should kill the White Martian. Mm, yeah. And Kara said that she lost everything, everyone. It makes a hole in your heart, but you can't fall into it. You have to fill it. You have to fight. And then with Kat, that was sort of the first breakthrough for them, like in the Livewire episode, when Kara became vulnerable with her in revealing that her parents had died. Yeah. The moment she kind of humanizes herself. <laughs> yeah. Kat's like, oh, I guess I should maybe behave like you're a person. <laughs> um, humanize, a term that will come up later. <laughs> and then with Kat again, she tries to sort of encourage her, A, to forgive Kara for writing a letter to Adam, and B, to take advantage of the fact that Adam had come to National City in talking about how her mother had died and she doesn't get to have a second chance with her. And she doesn't want that to happen to Kat and Adam. Yeah, well, and also she pushes Kat into a place where she feels uncomfortable and feels very vulnerable. And Kat initially screws up because she resists giving mm. into that feeling and being sincere. And she puts up a wall with Adam and he's like, no, forget it. Yeah. And it's really only through Kara's encouragement that Kat then changes her mind and is like, all right, I'll try it your way. And that is when there is success. Yeah. Kara repeatedly sort of prods Cat to be more open and vulnerable and genuine with Adam throughout that episode. <laughs> One of Kara's skills. And then to sort of contrast that with Kat specifically and being <laughs> vulnerable, I thought it was interesting when Jean impersonated Kara and shapeshifted into her while she was under the Black Mercy in season one, and he fake cried to Kat in order to try to get her to kind of soften to Jean slash Kara, and Kat called them crocodile tears, which is interesting. <laughs> well, and she was also deeply offended. It ended up straining their relationship further. Was this also after the episode where Kat's like, don't cry at work? Yeah. <laughs> so no one, she's extra offended. She's like, this isn't right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in terms of like sort of season one foundational stuff for Kara, in terms of vulnerability, the, I guess, like most vulnerable we saw her feel was in Human for a Day. Mm. And she was really not comfortable being physically vulnerable because she was quote unquote human, didn't have her powers, specifically because it made it harder for her to help people. And there was an earthquake and she wasn't able to fly around and fix everyone's problems. And then someone died in front of her. So that wasn't a fun time. You don't say. <laughs> sort of the repercussions of Kara being physically vulnerable. And there are a lot of situations, and we'll talk about it in terms of things that Lena's done, where we see that Kara is very uncomfortable being physically vulnerable because of the repercussions it can have. And repercussions not just for herself, but for other people who might be in danger and need her help. Yeah, particularly for other people who might be in danger and need her help. But in Human for a Day, she finds a way to use emotional vulnerability to help, sort of this tool that she's used in these various examples that we've had from season one to prevent people from being hurt and to stop a robbery. And she's also very physically vulnerable in the scene because, you know, her arm's broken and the man in front of her has a gun. But she opens up emotionally to him and says, I know you're scared. We all are. And kind of connects to him on an emotional level and really puts herself out there and it ends up breaking through to him. And that's sort of one of her most heroic moments in the series, I think. So it's definitely tied to how she sees herself as a hero, her ability to use her own vulnerability emotionally to help people. But it's a different matter when it comes to... <laughs> Yeah. Being open emotionally or being vulnerable in order to help herself. Yes. As we've seen in that conversation in season three with Eliza, Kara does not like this experience when it is turned on herself. Yeah. And the places where she is the most comfortable kind of being uncomfortable and digging into the things that bother her and the places where she feels maybe emotionally weak, so to speak, mm -hmm. are with her immediate family. We see it the most often with Alex, we know that one of the first people Kara ever let her guard down was Eliza. She tells Jean about, you know, being willing to let Eliza hug her and, and console her yeah. as a kid. Love that scene. <laughs> I know. It's such a good scene. <laughs> <laughs> And then as season one progresses and Kara grows more honest with herself about her identity and how she wants to tell other people about it, she lets in Wynne and James to a much greater extent. And she does it because she recognizes that they are people who will be happy for her and who will support her in being more authentic as herself. Mm -hmm. Specifically with Wynne in the pilot, like she told him because she knew he would be happy and it would make her feel happy, especially after Alex yelled 
yelled at her. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A risk of being honest. <laughs> and then kind of contrasting that, Kara is frequently very closed off with most people she doesn't know about her personal life, partly because she's a little bit insecure about maybe she'll say something off mm. that might put herself or her family in danger, but also partly because she doesn't like thinking about the worst parts of her life or lying and coming up with ways to excuse them just in a casual situation with a stranger or someone she has to tell something but like doesn't know what to say. And we also saw in season three when she deals with losses that remind her of the loss of her family, her first response is to just clam up and pretend it isn't there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is why Kara and bottling up her emotion, she has started to kind of recognize that it's not healthy. And uh, certainly the Red K incident in season one <laughs> helped her recognize this fact. Yeah. But it also made it more painful because she's like, I really didn't want any of this to get out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it also, it's very hurtful and it targets weaknesses in other people. Speaking of, you know, intentionally opening yourself up to harm, mm -hmm. the reason she hurts those other people so effectively is because there are people who are open with her. Yeah. And all of this is important <laughs> because, number one, on an emotional level, it is relevant to what is happening with Kara and Lena in this scene. And number two, Kara had all of those horrible experiences under Red K because Max Lord took it upon himself to invent some kryptonite, mm -hmm. a thing that's happened with Lena before too. <laughs> yes. So let's take a, a gander at how Kara is vulnerable with Lena. Yeah. So in this case, I do want to bring back a term that I mentioned kind of very early on in the podcast, talking about the idea of different kinds of vulnerability. So there's the concept of tactical vulnerability, which is where you may take an emotional or physical risk in order to achieve a specific goal versus sincere vulnerability, which we've mentioned a couple of times as well, particularly because this is Kara's kind of default setting, mm. which is being open with people because you feel safe and because you're comfortable doing it and you're ready to tell the person or put yourself at physical risk because you trust the other person to be there for you. Yeah. So with Alina, there are lots of instances where Kara is making more tactical choices in terms of vulnerability. There are a lot of instances where Alina makes Kara feel more vulnerable than she would like. Or then perhaps is entirely healthy. Yes. On both a physical and an emotional level. Mm -hmm. And then Kara will sort of tell herself that she's overreacting in several instances. Or for other the reasons be made to rethink her feelings on it. For instance, with the alien detection device, Cora blasts the product both literally <laughs> with her heat vision and in an article, and then she ends up having to rewrite it because of Snapper's guidance in terms of what would be effective reporting. Yeah, and we kind of talked about Cara and her reporting on the alien detection device in our episode 43, which looked into Cara and her progression as a journalist. But I want to come back to it again from the context of Kara starting off a relationship with Lena in which there is a red flag on day one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it isn't because Lena is a Luther. Like, you can tell from the interaction between Kara and Lena and Clark that Kara does not care. Like, that part mm -hmm. doesn't matter to her because she understands that Lena is her own person. She's immediately, like, sort of protective, too. <laughs> so, Oh, yeah. Well, she is. She recognizes, like, okay, being honest is the wrong choice, specifically because Lena says to her face that she thinks it's fine for humans to, like, racially profile aliens yeah. without recognizing any of the ethical or safety consequences of the device that she wants to sell to the public and give to the government and all these other things that could cause all kinds of discrimination and, you know... <laughs> Problems. Problems like we saw last season. <laughs> yeah. And also the way Lena talked about it was like humans finding out who among them is not really one of them. So there's a lot of worrying uh, context. <laughs> and Kara sitting there in front of her like, so if you find that out about me right now, what will happen? Mm -hmm. 
yeah. in a very unsafe kind of way uh-huh. isn't really the greatest starting point. Yeah. Cor is like immediately, oh, Lena's trying to make me vulnerable in a way that would not be good for me. Yeah. Or Clark or anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right away, the relationship kind of starts off in a place where Kara is already on the defensive and aware that if she is open about this, the response will be negative. Mm-hmm. And that is an underlying current to the entire relationship. Yeah. And combined with the aspect that she is protective of Lena's feelings from the get-go in terms of knowing how Lena would feel about Kara not wanting to be vulnerable with her in this way. So that aspect has been present in their relationship from the get-go. This sense of like Kara being uncomfortable with being emotionally and sort of practically vulnerable with Lena and the consequences that may result from that. But also physically is something that pops up quite a few times. Lena presenting a possible physical threat to Kara, particularly obviously with the kryptonite. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like how Max Lord was just making kryptonite as a defensive mechanism in case he was ever attacked by just Kara because there is no one else. <laughs> anywhere around them who would be harmed by it. So Kara's already a little sensitive about that because the last time it happened, she nearly killed multiple people she loves and destroyed half of the city. Mm -hmm. And was kind of mentally vulnerable in a way she didn't like with the Red K voicing all of her thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) So there's just a well of bad associated with people making kryptonite. However, in Lena's case, Kara ends up apologizing to her for trying to control it and having James break into her fortress, I suppose, in order to see if she was secretly holding kryptonite, and she technically was. Well, I will say, though, Kara putting James in that position was the thing she should not have done. Yes. It's really Kara's maybe only misstep. I agree. Like, legit misstep. She should not have put him as her friend and Lena's significant other in that position. Mm and then expected him to cover for her. Yeah. You know, like a 15-year-old sneaking out for the night. (laughs) (laughs) But Kara, in terms of vulnerability, explains to her that she needs to be the only person in control of kryptonite on the planet and says that this substance is so lethal to me that I can't risk encountering it by mistake. So not vibing with that physical vulnerability there. And then again, in season four, we have a similar situation where Lena creates a substance, Haranel, in this case, black kryptonite, that puts Kara in physical risk and other people in physical risk in that she's making it in order to have humans be able to fight aliens with powers. Yeah. Because <laughs> the logic there works out. And Kara, again, ends up apologizing for reacting emotionally is the way that it was framed in the episode. And then sort of interestingly, although typical for Kara, she ends up opening up about these emotions to Lena and making herself vulnerable in that way to mend the relationship between them. And it kind of works out that time. And this is sort of a pattern that we see with Kara in that most of the time that she is making herself emotionally vulnerable, it's to help Lena. Sometimes it's more genuine, sincere vulnerability. And sometimes it's more tactical, I think. In situations where she's trying to give Lena advice, it feels more genuine. Mm, Yeah. It has a purpose, but it kind of sprung out of her in the moment. For instance, regarding Lillian, Kara said, I've spent most of my life wishing I could talk to people that are no longer here. She's still here, which is interesting to compare to cat with Adam. That same sort of, maybe you should try out that relationship. And in Lena's case, it was not as good advice, but... No, it has certainly backfired. <laughs> yes. But she also, we saw very recently in a flashback that Kara opened up emotionally about how difficult it was for her to be the new girl in town and how she put her guards up, but she was miserable. And if she hadn't let anyone in, Alex, she thinks she would have drowned in it. And she says this to Lena in order to get her to open up to having friends and you know, coming to game night and becoming emotionally vulnerable herself in order to thrive. But this example from season three is more tactical, I think. When Lena notices that Kara is like not okay, and then Kara sort of lashes out to get her to kind of back off, clearly does not want to be emotionally vulnerable with Lena, particularly at work, as she mentioned. <laughs> However, she recognizes after obviously Lena's reaction and also after Kara feels better that it would be beneficial for their relationship if Kara 
opened up a little bit and apologized for being harsh and kind of explained where she was emotionally and why she acted the way she acted. But she didn't open up about her struggles with Monel in order to get Lena's advice or to kind of make herself feel better about it. It was for the specific purpose of mending their relationship. Yeah. And then that takes us to Kara and her decision to come out to Lena as an alien. And it's sort of telling that when Kara does come out to Lena, she makes herself kind of as vulnerable as possible in that she voices all of the sort of selfish reasons that she didn't tell Lena as opposed to being more maybe defensive and being like, well, I had legit reasons for not telling you. Mm. So she purposefully lets her guard down so that I think it will be a more effective confession in getting Lena to empathize with her and forgive her. Well, and also, if there's any suggestion that Lena was part of the reason that Cara didn't tell her, that would shut the conversation yeah, down immediately. That would not have gone well. No. And it's interesting, though, because we see that even after Cara tells Lena, she's still uncomfortable about that exchange and where their relationship is at and is still anxious about it. Earlier in the season, for instance, when she talked about wanting her first lunch with Lena after the reveal to be perfect. Oh, right. Yeah. With Alex. And Alex is like, maybe chill out a little bit. But she was still in this past episode stressed about how badly coming out could have gone. She talked to Jean and was like, before I told Lena I was Supergirl, I was terrified how she would react. I was so afraid I was going to ruin the relationship. And then she like kind of shudders and says she still hates thinking about it. So clearly she doesn't feel- Not a good sign, Cara. <laughs> comfortable with that exchange and the way that it went and choosing to be vulnerable. And we see Cara kind of try to push past this feeling in this past episode when Lena's being kind of passive aggressive in the fortress about Cara keeping the secret from her. And she tries to like will it into being normal. And she's like, telling you the truth is such a relief. And I'm so glad now that we can be honest with each other. And it's all behind us. <laughs> and we get the sense that maybe she's not as happy about being vulnerable this way as she says she is. And it brings to mind that line from Rin from this episode when he said, there's no such thing as right or wrong. There's only peace in one's heart, something I never found. And it doesn't seem like Carr is at peace in this episode. No. Regarding this decision. And I think that's because she didn't make that choice because she felt like it was time to open up emotionally or because she wanted to share with Lena. It was because if she didn't do it, then there would be repercussions for their relationship. Yeah, it was more she recognized that the longer she put it off, the worse it would go. Yes. Which that's never a good place to be in. <laughs> No, you know, coming out should be more of a joyful experience and an ideal situation and, and sharing a part of yourself and being vulnerable. Mm, kind of like we see with Wynn and with Nia yeah. or Brainy, like fangirling over Kara as Supergirl. Yeah. It was interesting, though, because in this episode, we saw Kara and Lena during the pretense. Kara kind of experienced that in that she was like showing her the fortress and was excited about it and like showing Lena the technology and Lena got to use it for the first time and kind of nerd out about things in a way that winded. Yeah. And it sort of starts off in that joyful place, minus Lena being like passive aggressive immediately. Which, again, should tip you off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and clearly did. Like Kara knew it was not fine. Mm -hmm. However, in this episode, we see Kara's sort of vulnerabilities used against her in kind of the exact ways that she feared. Obviously, Kara literally lets her guard down with the fortress security caution attacking the Luthers and like lets Lena use Kryptonian technology. And trusts her to use it unattended. <laughs> yeah. But even that, I wonder if that was a decision Kara made because she was worried that Lena would be like, are you watching me? Oh. Um. Like, take offense to it. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> she put herself in a corner where there is no way she could be right, basically. Yeah. And there's no way that she can let herself not be vulnerable because, as Lena established earlier in the season, Kara has to, like, tell her the truth all of the time and that there are no secrets. And Yeah. Yeah. As we talked about in our Boundaries <laughs> episode. But Lena takes Kryptonian technology and uses it against Kara. Obviously, the quantum processor is what she programmed to 
lock Kara in the ice cube. And she takes Miria and plans to turn it into a weapon against Kara. And well, We don't know exactly what she's going to do with it yet, but uh, seeing as we know how it works already, <laughs> yeah, we know where this is probably going. Uh-huh. And it's uh. kind of like Kara feared with the Horonel, <laughs> Lena taking something from her culture and then using it in a way that is detrimental to Kara and to society. And with Meteorad in particular, it's interesting because Kara opens up and is vulnerable about that and how she talks about she specifically fears Myriad and if there's one thing in the room that she could destroy it would be that specifically and she talked about the pain she went through regarding the fact that her family created it and then Lena uses kryptonite against Kara which is the exact thing that people would expect a Luther to do so <laughs> yeah but obviously tying back to that conflict that Kara had with Lena over Lena making kryptonite and how Kara feared that because of Lena making it, it somehow would be used against her. And Kara, in that conversation, opened up emotionally and was like, do you know what it's like to walk in a room and your skin feel like it's going to be seared off your bones or like nails are running through your blood? That's what kryptonite feels like. And then Lena, despite knowing all of this, uses it against her. A normal person would be like, that sounds awful (laughs) and I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) But that is interesting, though, because in that initial scene about the kryptonite in season three lena doesn't empathize with car at all because lena's kind of in her own head about all of her own feelings and then similarly in this episode we see Kara try to be vulnerable with lena to break through to her but lena doesn't want to believe her so we see Kara's kind of tool of honest vulnerability fail for her in this episode And we see some sort of ramifications for Kara in terms of being open emotionally with Lena in this episode. That's an understatement. (laughs) (laughs) And that Lena is able to convince Kara that she is at fault for not having let Lena in earlier, which is interesting in terms of another line from the conversation between Jean and Marin, when Jean says, if I bond with Malefic, he can choose to poison my mind. But we see Kara believe her, I think, because choosing to be open is so tied to who Kara is as a hero, that she thinks that she has to be vulnerable, even if she's uncomfortable, and even if she kind of doesn't want to be. So now let's take a look at Lena and her headspace in this episode in terms of vulnerability. We got an ask, which was pretty relevant. Yes. So one of our questions from Obsessed with Friends on Tumblr. Hmm. What do you think about the fact that Lena, when talking about her betrayal, continues to refer to Kara as Supergirl? For example, when talking to Hope or Eve and in this confrontation scene, she says, no, Supergirl, I don't want to kill you. And we did notice this, yes, I think, and talked about it in one of the earlier podcasts as well. And it kind of reminds me of in season four when Alex had her mind wiped and didn't have all the context for Supergirl that she had had before. And she says, you are literally described as the girl of steel on the outside and the in. And Kara says, you really think I don't know what it feels like to be vulnerable? I think that Lena thinks that Kara fooled her into thinking that she's vulnerable, hence that reference to the Kara Danvers near-death experience that Lena had been stressed out before in season four. Yeah. In that Kara was lying. She wasn't actually afraid. Yeah. But she also thinks that Kara's feelings were fake and that Mm, when she was crying that they were crocodile tears. And that every time that Kara has been vulnerable with Lena, Lena thinks that Kara wasn't being genuine in her feelings for Lena and the friendship that she felt and the care that she had for her. And as we've talked about in this episode so far, Kara was maybe not genuinely comfortable with being vulnerable in certain situations, but she was honest the whole time Mm -hmm. when she was being vulnerable. And it's interesting because, like I said, Lena has had trouble empathizing with Supergirl before. And so I think that she uses the name Supergirl in order to reflect how she feels about Kara is that she's kind of a distant figure and capable of having real feelings about their relationship. Kind of a negative example of a parasocial relationship. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then so kind of like we'll see with parasocial relationships, it does anything that Lena does to hurt Kara count, really, if it doesn't matter to Kara, if there's that distance 
obviously we know that Kara does feel it, but there's this level of dehumanization happening here, which is interesting, of course, in relation to Lena's feelings about aliens, yeah. but also her relationship with Supergirl as a figure that she idolizes. Yeah, well, that and also given how much time she's been spending dwelling in her own perceptions within her VR world and having out all of her side of things with Kara, she also seems like maybe she has convinced herself that the sincerity that Kara has expressed is not real, even though it is. And so that's kind of a cool tie-in to the bigger thing with the use of the VR Mm. that's been going on all season. Yeah. And kind of harkens back to the uh, parasocial relationship tie in there where technology Mm. can add that distancing factor, which can make people um, behave more harshly and unempathetically with others. But getting into Lena's headspace in terms of vulnerability and the fortress confession, Lena is employing a couple unhealthy psychological methods in this scene in that she is projecting in that she is attributing her decisions that she dislikes to Kara, and then psychological transference, which she has done before, in that she attributes Lex and Lillian's qualities to Kara. Mm. It particularly came through when Lena said to Kara, no, you don't get to tell me who or what I am again, which just sounded like something that she should be telling Lex or Lillian when they tried to criticize her or tell her what she should be or who she is. And this, you know, tendency to transfer Lex and Lillian's abusive behavior onto Kara is something that Kara had noticed before. And she saw this kind of dynamic coming in that Lena would lump her in with those two and everyone else that she has put in that group of people who have betrayed her. Mm. And it's important to consider Kara gets it because Kara also has abandonment issues. Like Lena has major ones of her own because of seeing her mom die. Mm-hmm. Um, and she describes her mom as the only person she ever like really loved and who made her feel loved in return. And also that Lena was in a position where she kind of felt responsible for it, but also more importantly, and this is where Kara gets it, felt powerless over the fact that her mother died. But unlike Kara, which we had kind of talked about in previous podcast episodes, Lena did not have positive experiences when she tried to open herself up and forge connections with the new people in her life after her mother's death. And this is where things have gone very wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So Lena was, you know, a vulnerable kid when she came to the Luthers and opened her heart up to them. And they obviously, as we know, emotionally abused her. And she views it as like a mistake that she made. Even though she was like a toddler and that's their default setting. That's what happens when you are a toddler. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So every other time that she's vulnerable and then subsequently gets hurt, the person who she feels hurt her must be just like her family. So that's her worldview and she's very set in it. So we discussed characters being vulnerable in this friendship context. And we also talked about that familial connection with Jean and Malefic. So now let's take a look at Alex interacted with Kelly in this episode in a romantic context and the ways in which they were vulnerable in that dynamic. And then also the way they interact with vulnerability individually with Alex. It was fun in this episode to hear her (laughs) say to Kelly, because if you cry, then I'm going to cry. And you know, I really hate crying at work. I'm glad she's told her that already. (laughs) That's nice. Yes. She also said, that to Jean when Alex asked Jean to walk her down the aisle. And then she says, stop, don't cry. If you cry, I'm going to cry. And then everyone here is going to know that we actually can cry. So we see her being very conscious of appearing vulnerable in any way at work. Yeah, she doesn't care for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we've also seen her sort of avoid being vulnerable generally outside of her kind of circle of people that are closest to her, particularly the super family. Yeah. And that's Partly down to kind of a difference in personality between her and Kara, mm-hmm. which I think we've talked about when we've talked about their sibling dynamic is Kara is much more outgoing. Alex is more introverted. And so she's naturally more hesitant because of that, but also because of her position as Kara's older sister for all of this time, she is also kind of wary of people because of what they might say or do that's maybe mean to Kara. Mm. And then Tripoli, because she is an undercover agent for an intelligence organization. Uh, so <laughs> she's kind of always trying to push people away. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. Just as a defensive yeah. Yeah, thing with people she hasn't been exposed to enough to really sense their intentions and 
decide whether or not they are safe people to be vulnerable with. Yeah. And so even with the super family, as we describe it, she was very slow to warm up even to Wynn and James, despite Wynn having been Kara's friend for years at that point, <laughs> and James having been a family friend of Clark's and then Kara's. She really doesn't fully accept that they're like in the circle until they really step up in For the Girl Who Has Everything, the Black Mercy episode. Mm-hmm and are there to support Kara and her. (laughs) And we see this kind of come up again with her being a little bit hesitant, like when she first introduces them to Maggie in season two. (laughs) She's very leery of Monel's intentions towards Kara at first because she doesn't think he's really worth her time at the beginning of season two and kind of prods him into showing it. (laughs) And she also, she's repeatedly been very protective of Kara towards Lena throughout the seasons, even if she's never said it to Kara, which I think's mm. about to change. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, like, my favorite two examples of evolutions on Alex and her thing about crying and being vulnerable, particularly in her place of work. There's a scene in the episode from season three, Both Sides Now, which is 313, where Kara and Alex go try to interrogate Julia and find out about the world killers and Purity says a lot of really nasty things that hit Alex emotionally in a very targeted attack. Mm. And she actually lets Win A acknowledge that she's not okay and lets him hug her, which if you contrast it to in episode 113, the Black Mercy episode, in the moment mm. after Kara wakes up, John goes to console Alex and he doesn't even try to hug her. He just puts a hand on her shoulder and she shoves it away. Mm. So her evolution on that has been pretty big uh, yeah. and then speaking of her and not liking to cry at work there's the great scene when marin says goodbye at the end of season mm. three and he makes the joke about watering of the eyes because he's saying like all these nice things to her yeah at the deo <laughs> of course um, and she and she gets very upset for someone who doesn't like to cry at work i feel like there are a lot of situations that warrant it for her kyler's just good at crying yeah. that's really what it is you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> Gotta write what you gotta write. That's true. I will say, though, it's really funny. Like, I have family members who who watched earlier seasons of the show, like, when I'd be home watching it. And one of them definitely was referring to Alex as the girl who cries a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Girl who cries everything. (laughs) Nice. But that's, like, one of the really kind of interesting things about Alex as a character. And Eliza talks about this with Kara in the Midvale episode in season three as well. Alex is very aware of her own feelings in a way that many of the other characters aren't to the same extent, or at least that they don't mention. And so she'll lean into them in a way that maybe other characters won't. Like in the scene that I mentioned at the start of the podcast with her and Jean, and she just openly says, like, no, I'm sad right now. Hmm. And like, yeah, she cries at work more than she thinks she does. Um, (laughs) But most of the time when she's really in a place where she's willing to be emotionally vulnerable, it tends to be either in her own apartment or like at Kara's. Yeah. So it's true. And sort of tied to whether or not Alex feels comfortable being vulnerable with people is just her tendency to try for perfectionism, which she's talked about several times in the series. Yeah. And the fact that she has had to keep up with somebody who's literally invulnerable in terms of being physically vulnerable. But she's made some progress on these fronts. She has. And that actually came up again in this episode, conveniently. <laughs> like Alex kind of had that revelation over the course of season three that it'd be bad if she died, <laughs> not just because it would like impact other people, but just like on its own. Yeah. Like it wouldn't be a good thing um, for her to continue taking crazy risks the way that she does without maybe necessarily thinking about the consequences to herself. Yeah. Which was why in this episode, it was nice to see her employ some of that growth with Kelly. Although she starts off like not texting Kelly when she gets hurt, which Kelly points out that Brainy texted Nia. Well, now we know that Alex definitely doesn't tell her mother when these things happen. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, I mean, we've been saying that for seasons where it's like, where's Eliza? Is anyone going to tell Eliza? that her daughter like the, dying. The, her, her kid as like the plague. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the plague. And yeah, so I actually liked that little detail. But Kelly gets Alex to promise that she will text her in the future, which is probably nice. We'll see if she sticks to it. Yeah. Yeah. And then Kelly gets Alex to not continue working when she has a concussion. And you can tell that right. Alex is like kind of pleased by it, which was nice. And she says, look, I really appreciate being taken care of. I'm so used to doing this all by myself. But being with you, it 
feels like home. We know, Alex. We know. (laughs) (laughs) But Alex expresses that Kelly feels like home and we get the sense that Kelly feels like one of her people and therefore she feels comfortable being vulnerable with her. Which, like, for Alex, that takes a lot for her to say that to people usually. So good for her. It was nice. And then on Kelly's side, she also is dealing with issues surrounding vulnerability and making that choice. She expresses in this episode that she is afraid to open herself up again to someone who could die in the same way that her fiance died, which is understandable. Yes. But she doesn't want to love someone who she could lose in that way and be vulnerable in that way again because she doesn't want to be hurt. And she also tried not to be vulnerable in terms of telling Alex this. She wanted to sort of be strong. She said, last week I thought that I was going to lose you, but then you got me that helmet and you were so wonderful and so excited. And so I pushed past my fears and I convinced myself that I can handle it all, which is something relatable, I think, for the Danvers (laughs) sisters. (laughs) Right. But then Alex, who, you know, as we just talked about, has grown so much in terms of vulnerability, tells her essentially that being vulnerable will make her stronger. Like opening up to Alex can help her heal. So that was a very positive example of characters opening up emotionally to each other. And this episode displayed a mixture of positive and negative results in terms of vulnerability. But that wraps up our discussion of vulnerability specifically. We got some questions about the episode Mm. from some Tumblr users. So we had the one we already addressed that was relevant to our topic kind of discussing vulnerability in different relationships within this episode. Mm -hmm. So our next question came from an anonymous user and said, do you think for crisis that Supergirl and Lena are going to put aside their differences to work together? Or do you think that the crisis will help them make up? I think that they may work together. I don't know if they will make up. (laughs) We were kind of just talking about this a little bit earlier today. And the thought occurred that perhaps when crisis is resolved and maybe some things about the different Earths or the way the universe is structured have been rewritten, perhaps there will be a shift, but it may or may not actually make things better or all that different. Hmm. Yeah, you had been wondering if maybe there would be some reality shifting in terms of giving Kara maybe a second chance at fixing things with Lena, and then maybe it doesn't go well still, even though she does, quote unquote, the right thing. Yeah, and what made me think about it was the moment in the season three finale when Kara uses the Legion ring to go backwards after she realized as she's made a wrong choice. Yeah, so we'll see what worlds they have to show us in crisis. Indeed. Another question from Lons de Plays on Tumblr was, hey, I love the podcast. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. Yes. So this episode, they went to the Fortress of Solitude to find information about Ramakan. And it made me remember that in season one, they used to ask the AI Alora all that stuff. What happened to that thing? <laughs> Also, where's Kellex? Please know I also asked where's Kellex because they deliberately showed that Kellex had been rebuilt last season. And then like an episode later, Manchester broke into the fortress and Kellex was nowhere. So um, I think that I had made a joke to the writer and was like, so is Kellex free like a house elf? Like, like, has Kellex been liberated? Like, yeah. And it's just out living their best robot life. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Kellex is the worst robot guard that has ever existed. Yeah. But the thing about the AI is a really valid point. I mean, some of it is obviously after season one, they were kind of in a state of flux on having access to an actor to fill in as Allura. But like that actually is a little bit odd because they had that whole storyline with Kara realizing her mom was alive in season three and like haven't really mentioned her again. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the AI in and of itself, I think it would make sense that maybe Kara doesn't feel like she needs to use the AI. She can just talk to her mom. But they also haven't shown her mom. (laughs) They've also shown the AI of her dad in the fortress or her uncle or both. Yeah, it's probably just an actor thing, to be honest. But yeah, it is. It's probably just like an availability thing or a time crunch thing in terms of being able to do it. It's much faster and less expensive to have a disembodied voice. Um, (laughs) In terms of practical reasons, Kellex, there was a lot of CGI in this episode and effects, especially in the fortress. I feel like it would have been a lot. And in the fight scene with Kara and Jean too. Yeah. um, He used his powers a bunch. Yeah. So it probably would have been over their budget. (laughs) Well, that and also the time it takes to like digitally add all the effects and stuff like that. Yeah. Timing also. So that one was probably a production thing more than a storytelling 
storytelling thing, which is something to keep in mind. Like sometimes things that fans will be like, this is a weird storytelling choice. There's lots of reasons that have nothing Mm. to do with like a writer didn't think of it. But like there's practical concerns about availability of actors or people are sick or they're saving their money for crisis Um, (laughs) yeah there may be a writer shaking their fist out there about the same things you are (laughs) and then our last question about this episode is from lila of paper on tumblr and it's in regards to the final scene in tremors I was wondering if you could discuss the different layers of how this affects Kara, including her claustrophobia, and your predictions for how she will get out of this situation, both physically and mentally. P.S. I love the work that you both do on this podcast. Thank you. It's so informative and delightful. Thanks. And now we're going to make you sad. (laughs) Welcome to Cycles of Sadness Hour. It's your time to shine. It's my time. (laughs) I could have thoughts about this to fit a whole podcast episode, but... You could. (laughs) In terms of what comes to mind right now, it's interesting because we know Kari didn't like going to the fortress at first. Mm. She tells James when they first visited it that it was too painful for her, even though Cal offered to bring her there. But we saw her over the seasons grow kind of more at peace with it. And, you know, she shared it with James and Mia's been in there and it kind of wiggled its way into her life in terms of her family and her loved ones and being a place that's filled with people that she loves and something she can access to share parts of herself. And now she's been trapped there alone and kind of void of that other presence with other people with the artifacts of her dead planet on Krypton on Earth, as she calls it, and where it's completely empty and silent except for, I guess, her own voice and essentially trapped with memories the same way that she was trapped in the pod and then obviously we know that like losing someone in combination with being trapped is a particular sort of trigger for Kara like if I've ever heard one (laughs) yeah Uh, because of her abandonment issues and her core traumatic event of losing everything and then being trapped in a pod and watching everything blow up in front of her face yes in terms of claustrophobia as you mentioned Lila of paper we did see her breathing kind of heavily so she may have been feeling the pressure of being in that enclosed environment and we know that she's been there for a while already because day changed into night (laughs) since she'd been there but you can't tell that inside the fortress of solitude oh no that's bad just like time didn't pass in the passage of time that's awful you're welcome for that (laughs) (laughs) it's terrible you know how they've been mentioning the phantom zone like a bunch all season yeah yeah that's where we are now (laughs) yeah And then also we obviously have the kryptonite element, which is, you know, the remnants of her dead planet. So that's never fun physically or emotionally. And as you reminded us earlier, the physical sensation of being exposed to kryptonite hurts a lot physically. And you also mentioned to me that she's probably cold, which I did not like. (laughs) And why is she cold cycles? Because she's weaker now with the kryptonite and... And her powers might not be working all the way. Yeah. (sighs) Um... So it's not a fun time for her. And then it's also just like the connection there with Astra and Myriad and Mm -hmm. how she also lost Astra and then Astra's time also in the Phantom Zone. There's a lot to dig in here for Kara too. Um, Like her head, what she's probably thinking about and going through. But those are some of the layers regarding how this affects Kara. What about the second part of the question? How will she get out of it? physically and or mentally i have two sad ways awesome (laughs) obviously somebody eventually coming to find her would be sad just because she's just stuck there Mm, but how would they get in without the key that weighs like a bajillion pounds Uh, maybe jean can lift it (laughs) maybe there's a smaller key that they have now (laughs) (laughs) that's true nia's been there with james just randomly that's true so that would just be sad in terms of the fact that she was stuck there and couldn't get out for a long time and then someone had to come save her but then also the fact that when she was trapped in the pod it was an outside force that eventually just rescued her and kind of the helplessness of it yeah and the vulnerability there so i think just the most likely answer is probably that someone will come get her but that's still cycles of sadness material and then my second option is that she has enough power to very slowly punch through it which is also sad do you have any thoughts about how she could escape i could see for kind of the sake of like the emotional impact of it someone else coming to get her but i think i would prefer to be her on her own just because it would be kind of reminiscent of 
the scene in the season one finale where everyone is under a myriad and she's got to pull the kryptonite bullet out of herself. Hmm. Yeah. It would also be interesting in terms of that parallel that I mentioned where it was an outside force in the pod for it to be this time her who breaks herself out. Yeah. Well, because we also saw her do that when she had the panic attack in season three when she blasted the hole through the, the elevator. <laughs> also true. <laughs> <laughs> So just as a reminder, if you decide you want to send questions and stuff to us, you can also send like follow-up questions about stuff we've said in our podcast episodes or things that have shifted throughout the season so far about like a topic we've already discussed in addition to questions about like the new episode. Mm-hmm. And feel free to send them to us via Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram. There is no new episode of Supergirl next week, so we're going to take a week off. But... In the meantime, if you are interested in getting geared up for Crisis, we are running a fake spoiler bracket, which we've done before through our fan network, Mm -hmm. the Sunshine Protection Force. Yes. Basically, you just come up with a funny fake spoiler about what you think could happen in Crisis. The worst impact of Crisis is that at one point, they accidentally create a world without pizza. (laughs) Oh, no. It's awful. And Kara is devastated because she gave up staying at home on Argo because she missed her favorite food so badly. Devastating. Or like Allura and Smallville's Lois Lane battle it out for who gets to keep their face. (laughs) Jean shapeshifts into them to just mix it up even further. (laughs) Jean wins plot twist. (laughs) Yeah, so send us something silly. You can submit up to three spoilers. Yeah, and the form is available. There's a link on Twitter. There's a link on our website as well. Yeah. And we'll repost it a couple more times. So we are taking fake spoilers up through tonight. So Friday at like midnight-ish Eastern time is our cutoff. If you're a couple hours later than that, that's okay. And then starting next week, instead of podcast episodes, we'll have rounds of spoiler bracket voting instead to keep you amused. (laughs) So that wraps up our podcast episode. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Mm Mm-hmm.